this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we will not be talking about Space Jam and New Legacy because someone who will go nameless didn't watch it, even though I told our listeners to hound him and say, you should watch Space Jam and New Legacy, and he refused. Saying you know how hang- many listeners hounded me? Zero. No one wanted me to. So watch really, this movie. is the listener's fault, is what you're saying. <laughs> no one wanted me to watch this movie. Briefly, tell me, tell me about Space Jam: A New Legacy. It fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Garbage water. I mean, what do you? I mean, there's nothing much to say about it other than like Warner Brothers is so in love with its own portfolio of IP that I'm sure, like, every shareholder and executive thought this was freaking brilliant, and they're like, well, it'll, you know as something to make money. And you know what? They were proven right. (laughs) It was the number one film at the box office. And you could be like, well, kids don't care. And I'm like, yeah, that's how we got the sequel because the (laughs) first movie is also garbage, but people are nostalgic for it. And if you go back and watch it, it's like, no, this is terrible. This is a terrible movie. And in 20 years, when we get Space Jam, another legacy, With, you know, LeBron James Jr. or whoever is, you know, the star athlete of basketball at the time. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's it's painful and there really isn't that much to talk about it. Uh, there's more to talk about with our subject this week, which is that the National Association of Theater Owners or NATO, not confusing acronym, why would anyone think of another <laughs> NATO is upset that Black Widow fell off a cliff in its second weekend at the box office. Uh, basically, box, Black Widow had a pretty huge opening last weekend, uh, or two weekends ago when it opened, but then it really started dropping. And over its second weekend, it dropped uh, 67%. And it's theater- the largest second weekend drop for any mcu movie ever yes in history (laughs) so it's not good yes and the theater owners are saying this is the fault of the of disney plus essentially that because you have allowed people to just basically pay 30 dollars for this movie and watch it at home you're hurting our revenues and this is you know if you keep on this path this is what's going to keep happening. I can understand them getting pissy. It feels like the wrong target to get pissy at because really there's only one film left that Disney has even said will be premier access. And that's jungle cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, far. so far, but you know, Shang-Chi is in, you know, less than two months. And so far they're not saying that'll be premier access. Obviously that could change. Um, and maybe it will change because, you know, we are still in the middle of a pandemic because half the country is like, I don't know about these vaccines, but I just think it's great that I never got polio for some reason. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, but I would also say, you know, if you look at this weekend, you know, Space Jam did well, 
relatively, but it's also on HBO Max. I guess the, the, the argument of NATO is basically our revenues could have been higher. You're cutting into them. The pandemic is over, is in the past. It's not. <laughs> they say it's in the past and mm-hmm. that we should leave this business model in the past. Adam, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think it's interesting. I I actually disagree with you. I think that I don't think that the it's the wrong target because I think that Black Widow is very much a test balloon. Like they have said Shang-Chi will be theater only, but if if they make a ton of money on Disney Plus off of Black Widow, they're definitely gonna do Disney Plus for you know, they could even go the HGMX route and do it for all of their major releases. Maybe it's only a limited number that are theater only. Although, as NATO pointed out in their statement, it is very curious that. So the first weekend of release, Disney did something that no other streamer has done, which is they released how much money they made on Disney Plus from Black Widow. It was about $60 million, which is very good. And they combined that with their weekend box office to get like a total box office. In weekend number two, they said nothing of Disney Plus. Well, which it's worth noting that when you get a movie on Disney Plus as premier access, you basically own it at that point. It's not a rental. You it quote it. unquote unlocks the title to be available for you to stream on Disney Plus. Right. Early, so there's no six months or whatever. Well, and that and that means there's really no need for repeat. Like if if you like Black Widow so much on its opening weekend, you're like, I gotta see that again. And it was only in theaters, you'd have to pay money again to see Black Widow. You just yeah. don't be like, oh, I paid for this last week. Why won't you just let me in the theater? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> if Disney Plus, on Disney Plus, if you bought it last weekend, you can watch it again the second weekend for no added cost. Yeah. So I think it's interesting because I would be willing to bet that that also had a really steep drop off. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are a number of factors here. I think you know the pandemic's not over, as you stated. One week to the next, things are changing pretty rapidly with this Delta variant the cases got pretty higher. Los Angeles has instituted another mask mandate. So if you look at the first weekend Black Widow, Black Widow open to the second weekend Black Widow open, the kind of tone of the country in terms of, of COVID was different. It, you know, it's scarier. I think more people are probably reticent to get out to theaters. Um, I also think it can't not be said that Black Widow feels like a not a must-see now movie. Like, it's a step backwards for the MCU, as you pointed out. Like, it's not like I got to see Avengers Endgame before I get spoiled or even something like Captain Marvel, where it's like, I don't know what this is. I, I want to go see it before I hear about it. It's kind of like, oh, yeah. So you got a prequel about Natasha. I I guess I could wait for that to be on Disney Plus or something like that. There's not, it doesn't feel like Black Widow had that immediacy of. Uh, yeah, and there's no real cultural moment to it other than being like, Oh, it's the new Marvel thing, which in itself is diminished somewhat when this year we are already had three Marvel shows. Like it's, you didn't really have to wait for anything Marvel. Like if I can see it being maybe somewhat different, if, you know, in a world without WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki, it's like, all right, it's been two years since a Marvel movie, but like those shows sort of soften the blow because you're still in the MCU essentially. And so for Black Widow, it doesn't, it, it, it does kind of feel like a movie like you could wait on it. So it, it's not like, uh, it's not Marvel's A game. It's not a film that you have to get to the theater to see. So I think even without Disney Plus, without the, the premiere access, it would have still had a probably like a steep drop in its mm-hmm. second weekend. But I would also say that 
NATO has a habit of being like anything that changes the status quo is bad for us. Yeah. And sort of catastrophizing it without ever saying like, well, then this is how we will respond. Other than like, we won't show your movie. <laughs> like that's their only, <laughs> that's the only bullet in their gun is we won't show your movie. You, you come to them and be like, can you make the theatric, theatrical experience better? And that just is just, that's a bridge too far for the National Association of the- Theater Owners. They're like, well, maybe we should let people use phones in movies or should maybe, <laughs> you know, we should. Yeah, I, essentially you have to understand like for the major chains who are represented by NATO, like their business model is we sell junk food and happen to show movies. Like they're making money from concessions and they happen to get a cut of the films. It's not very much, but they've, they, I, as I've been, I've been banging this drum for years is they don't do much to make the theatrical experience special. And then they wonder why people don't want to come to the theater. So if Disney is saying, Hey, you can watch black widow at home. And you know, if you like treating the theater, like your home anyway, just stay home, pay the $30 for you and your, you know, $30 is essentially the cost of two movie tickets anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's not like an outrageous price point. And then you just get to chill out on a Friday night. I'm not really surprised. The, to me, the answer here isn't make the, make movie studios stop doing what they're doing because they're not. They hold, they hold most of the cards here. But that theaters have to step up their game and can't keep whining about every time something changes. Like, I'm sure they would love to rewind the clock and be like, let's reinstitute longer uh, theatrical windows and, you know, the time, you know, but that, I mean, even then, even if you were to rewind before the pandemic, your theatrical window was what, three months? Mm -hmm. It was a 90 day window. That's still a far cry from what used to exist when like movies would run in theaters for months and months and months and months. Yeah, like that. Thinking about Titanic was like in the top ten for like a year or something like that. Yeah, it was the number one movie for like nineteen weeks. (laughs) Yeah, that will never happen again. No, and Uh, and that's kind of what. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like you know, you you can keep saying, like, well, let's turn back the clock. The clock is not going to turn back, and like, you know, sending out angry press releases isn't going to turn it back either. So I don't know what you're doing here. Well, that's the other thing I mentioned, and I I wrote this story up today. It's on Collider now, but, you know, two things are true. One, Marvel is the most successful franchise around, and their movies usually make over $500 million worldwide, at least. Number two, the world has irrevocably changed. Like, we can't go back. I think the, like, movie, the way that movies are being consumed is different now because of the pandemic. You know, Warner Brothers smashed that window with HBO Max. And so now it's kind of a new normal. So it's, I don't think we're going to see, at least for a while, we're not going to see those same heights. You know, we ran an article a couple of months ago that was like, which is which is going to be the first movie to hit $100 million uh, on its opening weekend. And I was like, oh, it'll probably be Fast 9 or probably be Black Widow. But like we've seen like, no, I, that number is not going to be easy to hit anymore. And I think that's interesting. I think we have to... I think we have to acknowledge that and admit that, that things are going to be very, very different. So trying to hold the box office to the standards of 2019 or 2018 um, is kind of a fallacy. But I also think, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You look at Space Jam, A New Legacy, like that was predicted to make like $20 million over the weekend, partly because of the HBO Max thing. It made 32. Like that, it it opened above expectations. So it made more money than people thought it would make. And it was also on a streaming service. And you didn't have to pay anything extra to watch it on that streaming service. 
So and it is, you know, really you can't the necessarily best movie go of... cry foul at Black Widow and, <laughs> and, 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 and it is like the, the and it is like the best movie of the year. So really, <laughs> Space Jam is <laughs> just everyone a... made the right choice there. Is what yeah. you're saying? Exactly. No, Ricky but like raps. And at that point, like, I mean, now that we've crossed Black Widow, like what's sort of left on the schedule that could possibly like, I think that, that to me, that was the, the height of the summer and it won't sort of now we kind of got to wait till I think probably around the end of the year to see if anything sort of d- breaks that at 100 million mark because maybe Jungle Cruise can do it, but I don't think it will. Um, and then when you get into August, you know, there are still movies I want to see, but like, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think Reminiscence is going to do it. I don't think Free Guy is going to do it. Um, the Suicide then, Squad is probably not going to do it. Suicide, I mean, I Suicide Squad, I mean, well, Suicide, again. again, not only that, but Suicide Squad's rated R. So yeah. I just. So if you're 11 and you have HBO Max, but your parent won't buy you a ticket to see the Suicide Squad, you just watch it at home. Just watch it at home, assuming there's no parental controls on your TV. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I I just feel like studios and the and, and distribution, I don't think they jumped the gun here. I think they assumed, as did a lot of people, oh, there's a vaccine. Most people will get vaccinated. We will resume and then we will reach herd immunity. And we didn't count on the fact that like, no, there's an entire industry to ginning up conflict at no, on, over every single little thing because there's money in that. And they're going to turn the vaccines into a culture war issue. So now it's vaccines versus not vaccines. So that only gets you to 50%. <laughs> and, that, it's funny. That, and that makes room for the Delta variant. It's funny. I was listening to a, a podcast with Steven Soderbergh and he was talking about contagion um, and like how much they got right and stuff. And he was like, what we did not anticipate was like, we thought the Jude Law character would be like 20% of like what's going on out there. And it's like, we did not anticipate that that would be substantially, have a substantially larger footprint on the culture, uh, the fucking Forsythia um, and all of that stuff. So I thought that was interesting because they got most of the other stuff right. And he said, you know, at the time they were researching contagion, everyone he talked to said, it's not if it's when, mm-hmm. probably gonna be a wet market probably going to be somewhere in asia and like turned out like yep that's what happened but the you know in contagion everyone gets a lottery to get vaccinated against the uh the virus. there's a lottery because there has to be a lottery because the vaccine would be so in demand <laughs> that you would have to basically sneak it to people <laughs> or you would have to be uh, you know, it would have to get your lottery number called on the right date. And it'd be this really special thing when you got your vaccine. And now it's like, we have, you know, I remember like when the vaccines were like first, like becoming available, like in around March and around March. And I was like, I will drive an hour and a half to get my vaccine. And now it's like everywhere you turn, it's like, would you like a vaccine? We have free vaccine, get your vaccine, you can get it anywhere. And people are like, I don't know. I don't know if I want it. It's untested. The government, I can't trust the government to trust. Don't tell me what to put in my body. Uh, this is what this podcast is now. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Well, so what is the thing? Do you think No Time to Die on October 8th? Do you think that will be the, I mean, I know we've done the podcast of like, when are movies coming back? 
I think things have changed, but I'm like, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Like, do you think we get back to like huge opening weekends and like everyone's going I to think it'll be maybe no time to die. The movie that I keep thinking about and keep coming to is, is Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. Because it's Marvel, it's Spider-Man and it's Christmas. And it will <laughs> and not be on Disney Plus. And it will not be on any streaming service. Yeah. Uh, no Time to Die won't be either, even though Amazon bought MGM. Yeah, I don't think so. At least so far. They haven't announced it, but who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Spider-Man is what I'm sort of putting my chips on. And this isn't to say we haven't had success stories. Like A Quiet Place Part 2, I think it's close to like 300 million worldwide, which is very good. Yeah, 285 million worldwide. That's very good. So like we've had success stories. A Quiet Place Part 2 was not on Paramount Plus for 45 days. Um, they also just kind of like snuck it on there. Like I wonder if there was some kind of, because I, I had heard that there were, Krasinski and Blunt were a little upset about the Paramount Plus thing, that it would go on Paramount Plus 45 days after release. And they were kind of demanding like, well, you're going to hobble our box office and we have points on the back end. So how are you going to like financially compensate us for that? I did find it very funny that they did not advertise that it was on Paramount Plus until no. the day that it was on Paramount Plus. <laughs> so yeah. there must have been some kind of contractual, like you cannot tell people it's coming. You cannot like, you know, preview that like, oh, you'll be able to stream it in just two weeks. Right. You can't under, I mean, that's, and that's the other thing. It's like, can you, un, like, you don't want to undercut yeah. your movies. And so like, look, on the one hand, I can sympathize with the theater owners. Like they're in a, you know, they're trying to fight for their industry. And they see these streaming windows and these sort of, they see streaming as a, as competition. That's just money they don't get. Like they, you you know, it's one thing when Disney's like, well, our real box office total, like when you add in the 60 million that we got from Disney plus is this, but it's like, but no, it isn't because the theaters don't see any of that 60 million. There's no profit sharing on that 60 million. That 60 million is pure Disney money. Mm-hmm. So, their pockets. so Disney's not mad, I don't think. Disney's you know? not mad at all. Disney is fucking thrilled. Although, again, who knows what the second weekend of uh, Black Widow yeah, was? Maybe it topped at 60. Maybe it like went up by maybe another 10 or 20 million. So maybe it's like right. 70, 80 million it, is the max it, you can get on something like that. Right. And then again, and speaking, you know, again, there was not a lot of buzz around Black Widow that would help it in the second weekend on Disney Plus. There wasn't yeah. like a lot of oh man, I got this. It was so worth it to buy it on Disney plus because I'm going to revisit black widow again and again and again. I just can't get enough of this movie that will be on Disney plus for everyone in like three months. Yeah. 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 There, you know, it's a weird movie to use as a test case. And I, I kind of caution in my piece, like it's a fool's errand to make any hard and fast, like conclusions about the box office right now all mm-hmm. we can do is observe and comment on what's happening right, right now but we can't say it means this for sure right yeah i was trying to think like what movie was it there was some movie and like Verizon, like it's a disappointment at the box office and it's like you don't know what box office is right now and i can't remember i can't remember what that it was, was like some movie that opened like un- oh it was in the heights they're like That's in the right. heights was a disappointment and I'm like, what is that? What you, what you don't even know. Like you have an analyst telling you in a world they have no idea how to, how to, how to analyze this movie did not perform well during a pandemic when, you know. Musicals like, are also a hard sell anyway. So I think it was probably on par with, I think we have to start grading on a curve if we want to compare it to pre-pandemic mm-hmm. numbers. Right. 
or some kind of inflation or something like that. It's like, yeah. well, in pre-pandemic times, this actually means this much. Look, and I think that people- is someone who still has not seen in the Heights, even though I wanted to. So, and you could have. It was on HBO Max. <laughs> I know, but I ever was like, you must see it in the theater. And- yeah, and then then you never did, and now you never will. <laughs> I mean, it'll be back on HBO Max in like four months. So, yeah, but. Uh- yeah, I, you know, and that's the thing. You can have like, you know, goobers like me, like, you know, being like, you got to see it in the theater, but like, no one, no one cares. <laughs> like, and like, honestly, <laughs> I would also say, like, do what's right for you and yours. Like, yeah. get vaccinated, obviously, but like, if you don't feel comfortable going to a theater right now and you're like, I feel more comfortable with streaming or it's more cost effective for me to stream, uh, you know, do what's right for you. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm a champion of the theatrical experience, but I also don't want to be like, what? Don't you have money? Like I see all my movies for free. <laughs> like I like I go see that like they show them to me for free. So I'd be I'd be a little hypocritical of me to be like, just spend all your money to go see movies when you can, you know, if in addition to your HBO Max subscription. Yeah. I do not see all my movies for free. I'm not as fancy as Matt. No, he's not fancy. <laughs> I go to my screenings in a top hat and a monocle. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how this, you know, obviously this is like has become a recurring theme on the podcast, but like what's happening at the movies, <laughs> like what's happening with theatrical distribution. And I'm sure we'll revisit it, uh, you know, later this year, but you know, I, I can't, I can't, at the end of the day, like I can't really fault anyone. It's like, how did you not see Black Widow in theaters? <laughs> like because eh, it's yeah. it's okay <laughs> and also like something we we hadn't mentioned is that like also end game is like a good jumping off point for people like like yeah. if you like if you were in the mcu and like there's end game and it's like and then you see spider-man far from home as epilogue whatever it comes out two months later and you're like i like spider-man but now it's been like a year and a half it's been two years and you're like yeah, I don't need to see every MCU thing again. <laughs> it's, it is, it is. some people have compared it to homework. I don't feel that way, but I see where they're coming from. There's also, I mean, there is, but there is not a clear overarching story yet. Um, like we know from watching Loki, like, oh, it's probably Kang and it's probably the multiverse, but there is no like, oh, I know Thanos is on the table. I know he did this thing. I want to see what, uh, you know, this mm-hmm. next movie has to say about that right or like oh i just saw captain america civil war they broke up at the end i want to see what that fallout looks like what happens next there's none of that right now it's it's all new setup so it's kind of like the phase one where like you know not many people saw i think the lowest box office was captain america the first avenger which i think is one of the best of that group and the highest box office was iron man 2 which was the worst so yeah so you just gotta excuse me you got maybe you know i think the mcu will bounce back and we'll we'll have a better idea of what's happening when shang chi opens yeah and especially if that goes to disney plus as well uh or yeah, a, we'll a premiere access everything will end up on disney plus but if it has that sort of uh simultaneous release mm-hmm. um all right well with that uh let's move into recently watched uh adam what have you seen lately that you'd like to talk about uh, i did want to briefly mention that based on your suggestion we started watching superstore and are very much enjoying it Oh, good. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, but the show I wanted to talk about was The White Lotus, which oh. I didn't know much about. I knew it was the, like, the next new HBO show. So like Sunday nights on HBO, there's always a new show. Right now it's The White Lotus. It started, it's just aired its second episode. It's created, written, and directed entirely by Mike White, who did Enlighten, but he also wrote School of Rock. He wrote on Freaks and Geeks. 
um, he did a movie called Brad Status that you and I saw at TIFF that I thought was. I didn't see Brad Status. You saw Brad Status. Well, you're an asshole. Yeah. Uh, Brad Status is good uh, and you should see it. The White Lotus, uh, I mean, it was billed as like this. I didn't know much about it going into it. I knew it took place at a resort in Hawaii. I knew it had like Connie Britton and Steve Zahn um, and uh, Jennifer um, Coolidge, Jennifer Coolidge um, and a bunch of other people in it. And so I watched it and it's kind of like Forgetting Sarah Marshall as directed by Ari Aster. Like it is, it has the dread of Midsommar. I felt like I was going to have a heart attack watching the first episode and I could not tell you exactly why. There was an overwhelming sense of dread happening on the show, but you don't know why. Like, is it supernatural? Probably not, but I don't know. It's someone like, it, it opens with, uh, so Jake Lacey plays one of the characters on the show. It opens in an airport in Hawaii. Jake Lacey is sitting there by himself in sunglasses talking to an older couple who's like, oh, how was your vacation? And he's just an asshole, doesn't want to talk about it. And they're like, where'd you stay? And he says, the White Lotus. And they said, oh, we heard someone died there. And he said, yeah, they're on our plane. And then it's like one week earlier. So then it cuts back. So you know one of these characters is dead, but it doesn't seem like it was a murder, but I don't know. Like someone described it as like Game of Thrones for passive aggressive people, which I don't (laughs) think is like entirely wrong. Cause it's all of these people, it's definitely dealing with like class and social status. Um, or I guess another way to describe it would be like if Ari Aster made Downton Abbey, because you have like the people who run the resort and you know, if you, if you've ever been to one of these resorts or even a hotel, they're all so happy and pleasing and like, what can we do to make your stay the best? But then you see the behind the scenes where they have their own struggles and they like fucking hate this person. And this guest is like driving them nuts and they screwed up on this person's room, but they can't tell them that they screwed up because that would be bad. Um, Jake Lacey and Alexander Daddario are like a new couple on their honeymoon and Jake Lacey is like this real estate guy who's just a yuppie, just terrible person. So I don't know. I cannot tell you what it's about necessarily. All all I can say is that I've seen two episodes and I will definitely watch the rest of it. It's a limited series. Um, It just, the sense of dread is kind of killing me. Um, But it's worth checking out. If any of that sounds interesting to you, I would would say check out the first episode and if you're intrigued, keep watching. but again, I could not tell you exactly what it's about. I'm intrigued because I've, I've, I've been hearing about it, but I wasn't really sure what it was. And now, now I'm sort of like, oh, so now I know why I don't know what it's about because it's hard to say what it's about. <laughs> it is, it, it, you know, but yeah, that's, that's how I would end is pretty, pretty blind, but it felt like watching Midsommar, but it's not like, there's not a cult or anything like that, mm. but at least as far as I know. I mean, right. Who knows? It's just like very, like a ton of passive aggression amongst these characters who are at this resort and the music is just very tense good to know yeah. uh for me i watched a film a documentary on hulu that i've been meaning to see called some kind of heaven directed by lance oppenheim and it's produced by darren aronofsky and it takes place in the villages which is america's largest retirement community and it's fascinating so the villages is in, in florida uh it has a population of about one hundred and thirty thousand. And it's like this self-contained world where just people go to retire. They, they, someone says early on, like, it's almost like college because no one is from there. So when you go there, you get to kind of make your a new identity. So it follows, has three different subjects. It has a married couple who's been together for 47 years. It follows a young, uh, not a young woman, a, a woman who is a widow 
her and her husband were planning to move the villages together and then he passed away, but she still moved there and she's still, she's not really retired. Like in order to sort of afford living in the villages, she has to keep working instead of retiring like she planned to. And then there's this other guy who's living out of his van, but his whole plan is to like set, like he wants to find a wealthy single woman and like basically, you know, live off her. And it's it's a fascinating film because as one of the one of the subjects notes, like this is not the real world. Like someone says, like there are no kids here. Like this is like all your needs are catered to. There's always something to do, um, but it's all people like who are retirement age, and they're all coming to like the end of their lives. So this is not like the real world, but like they so in a weird way, it's like a theme. It's like Disneyland, but for like the retirement crowd, and. Yet, what's interesting is that you would think like, well, in this self-contained little bubble, like living in the bubble, your problems wouldn't follow you. And they, but they do, like you can't sort of, it doesn't solve everything. Like, and I find that oddly reassuring, like you still have agency here. Like you, my, my concern is like, oh, well, if you're like an old person in a bubble, like this is just going to basically you know, what, like smooth out all of your rough edges, essentially. Like you're already going to be stuck in your ways, but like now you're in a bubble. But really what it is, is like, no, you're still like, you know, this married couple is still having problems. Like the husband is like, you know, on a spiritual journey that involves him like doing drugs. And he's just becoming more of like kind of an obstinate asshole to his like wife's chagrin. And, you know, the widow is like trying to sort of get back out there. And then this guy who's hoping to leech off older women uh you know he is a guy who clearly does not have his life together and it's sort of fascinating to watch them struggle like i i guess it's sort of like to me what was reassuring is that they weren't settled and maybe that's sad to others but like i find that the struggle is where life happens and so to me, it didn't have like the death's waiting room feel that I thought that I expected from this large retirement community. And I thought it was really fascinating uh, and really well-made. So it's on Hulu, uh, some kind of heaven. I, 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 work, I recommend checking it out. Adam has nothing. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> It sounds interesting. <laughs> sounds interesting. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all so much for, for tuning in. Uh, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week. Bye.